Hi, everybody. Welcome to Yohopitzville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. I'm Ralph Ben Mergy, your host, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you as usual. We're going to be speaking of books. This is the way this is going to work. There's so many nice things said about this book, but I think I'll just talk to the author because that's usually a little more efficient. Uh, Prairie Sonata is the name of the book, and Sandy Sheffern Rabin is the author of that book. Uh, she's uh, from Manitoba, is not there now. See, it's about 28 below right now in Manitoba. <laughs> So she decided to live in Marin County outside of San Francisco, which has no snow at the present moment, is my guess. So lucky her. Welcome to Yehopitzville. How are you doing? Uh, fine, thanks. Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Now, um, there's so much here that it, it, it's almost like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. So why don't we start with your actual existence as a Winnipeg Jew? Um, okay, well, being a Winnipeg Jew um, was a wonderful thing. Uh, I haven't lived there in a number of years, but it was uh, an absolutely wonderful place to grow up. Um, I grew up primarily, I guess, in the 60s and 70s, a little bit in the late 50s, um, but it was a very close-knit Jewish community, and um, you could almost live in a somewhat Jewish world. <clears throat> it wasn't like growing up in Brooklyn, New York, where you'd walk down the street and you would have all these different Jewish delis and signs with <clears throat> Yiddish letters. Uh, but nevertheless, um, there was a lot going on. So I grew up in North End Jewish Winnipeg, uh, which is where most, uh, if not all of the uh, immigrants who came over uh, from Russia or the Pale of Settlement uh, in the late 19th, early 20th century settled. And um, I lived on a street called Inkster Boulevard. <clears throat> and I actually lived about one and a half blocks from a Talmud Torah school. And I lived about a little over two blocks from an I.L. Parrots Folk School, which uh, is the school I attended and which is the school that I write about in my book. I have my main character, Mira Adler, attend a Jewish school in the town, the fictional town in Manitoba in which she lives. So Parrot School was actually the first Yiddish day school or Jewish day school in North America. It first Ooh. opened in 1920. And at the time I went there, uh, it was apparently the only Yiddish-speaking secular Jewish day school on, on the, uh, in North America and the United States. There was another parrot school in Calgary, um, but there weren't any other elsewhere. And um, it went from low kindergarten, which you started when you were four, and you could go all the way through and graduate after grade seven. And um, it was just this wonderfully warm, vibrant place it was, uh, you learned Jewish studies for half the day, English studies for the other half. Um, the Jewish studies were conducted primarily in Yiddish, but also in Hebrew, like we would read uh, the Torah, the, Huma, the Humish in Yiddish, and we would also uh, read it in Hebrew. Hmm. Um, when parrot school started, and it remained that way, it was a secular school. Uh, you know, you didn't say prayers in the, in the morning, the boys didn't put on tefillin, uh, whatever. Um, by the time I got there, <clears throat> They started teaching uh, a few more prayers. So I think we learned a total of seven prayers exactly uh, at parrot school. 
Um, but as I said, we learned the Hebrew language. We had a course in conversational Hebrew. We learned about Israel. Uh, you know, we read the Torah in Yiddish and again in Hebrew. And um, we learned all about the holidays. We learned Jewish history, Geschichte. And we did all that for half a day. And the other half, we did English studies. And it always made me wonder what these kids in public school were doing all day, spending all day learning, <laughs> learning what we learned in half a day. Uh, exactly. <clears throat> Would it be fair to say it was kind of the orientation was labor Zionist? Yes, I would say that's probably how it started, uh, definitely with the Bund. And uh, I guess a lot of the immigrants were what were called radical Jews when they first arrived uh, with all these different organizations. Some were socialists, some were communists, some were anarchists. And uh, that wasn't really apparent by the time I went. Uh, things had settled down a lot. Uh, I think there probably was some socialist doctrine in the early years, but uh, you know, that dissipated. I think people didn't want that anymore. And, yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting because it, it, uh, growing up in the 60s, mostly <laughs> things like that, um, Israel itself was seen as this kind of socialist utopia. The Labour Party was in ascendancy at all times, and there was the kibbutz as the ideal. Uh, and uh, I certainly remember in my education that it was it was sort of brought up to people as this is the the destination of what the Jewish state will be, which is so far different than what it is today. Right, which is interesting because, um, you know, for a variety of different reasons, some understandable, uh, they didn't really promote Yiddish as a language, even right. though um, many of the Yiddish speaking Jews, um, certainly in Winnipeg, were, were socialists. Um, although obviously not all of them were, but yeah, um, in Montreal, they used to call them red diaper babies. Oh, okay. We didn't have that term because <laughs> they were communists, right? And, I mean, this, uh, Winnipeg itself had a, a, a communist city councilor, which no other city in Canada had at the time. So uh, such an interesting Jewish community in Winnipeg. I mean, it is a, 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 a reasonably uh, multicultural city, right? There's there's French and English and Boniface. There's all these different pieces to it. So I guess as, as somebody who was Jewish who went to Jewish day school for that period of time, uh, you would have probably felt some level of comfort as a Jew, as opposed to some people I talked to on this program who were one of four families in the town in Canada. So you must have felt some sort of, I, I don't know, uh, comfort of, of, of Jewish life and your ability to live it in, in Manitoba. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I actually don't in, recall encountering any kind of anti-Semitism when I was there. Perhaps once someone might have said something when I said I was Jewish, um, sort of quizzically, but, um, but really that was about it. It was very, very comfortable. And there were also a lot of social organizations outside the school. You know, the uh, YMHA was the equivalent of the JCC when I grew up and they would have these friendship clubs and depending on your age you'd either go there on Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon after 315 <laughs> partial observance of Shabbos you know uh, but um, you'd have these clubs with your friends and you'd meet every week and plan these various activities and then once a month it's uh, Saturday night you'd have a co-ed program with the boys and uh, oh it was just it was a great time when you got older, there was BBYO, BBG. Right. <clears throat> there were summer camps. There still are. There is B'nai B'rith camp. 
uh, on an island in Lake of the Woods, I think Camp Massad um, is, is still there at Winnipeg Beach. And um, it was great. Um, I even belonged to uh, the Chai Folk Ensemble, which you might have heard of. It's yeah, a yeah. singing, dancing, and musical group um, <clears throat> that performs. And, um, you know, sometimes it performs in other cities. I think it performed once in Toronto, Calgary, North Dakota. But um, yeah, it was just very, very vibrant. Everything you wanted was there. Yeah. What synagogue did your family go to? Uh, well, that's a good question. So we weren't we weren't particularly religious, uh, hmm. as you can imagine. I I'm not sure. Maybe there were many people who were religious <laughs> who went to parrot school. Uh, we went on the high holidays, um, but we we didn't go other times during the year. So the synagogue we went to was actually Talmud Torah. It was like a little over a block from our house. Uh, my grandmother would come with us. She would stay over and I guess she wanted to walk to synagogue. So it was close enough for her to walk. And um, so that's where we went for the high holidays. That was an Orthodox shul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you didn't go to Sherry Tzedek because. That, that was, was the South End. That was the South End. <laughs> that was the South End. That was too far. Yeah. That was where the nice houses were. Yeah. That's right. You were the nicer, to, nicer. The houses. nicer houses. That's right. And you weren't going to uh, Lockport. There. I remember the first time I went to Winnipeg. <laughs> the second day I was there, friends took me to uh, to Lockport to uh, what, what's the name of that um, Skinner's. So we went to Skinner's and I look up. I'm looking at the Red River and I look up and pelicans, a flock of pelicans, fly by, and I was like, pelicans. What are pelicans doing up here? And they said, "Yeah, you'll be surprised by this place." All right, let's talk. Let's talk about Prairie Sonata. This is your first book, and the reviews are like, you know, make me wonder if you don't wonder where have I been? Why didn't I write more books earlier? Because <laughs> you're getting great reviews. Um, what prompted you to? I mean, your your life has been in medicine and things like that. So, what prompted you to do this? To write to write this book. Well, I had, you know, actually thought of writing a book, a novel, ever since I was 12. I thought, gee, that would be a great thing to do. Um, it was clearly not an obsession of mine because I hadn't tried it, you know, until several years ago. Um, and I guess my life cleared up a little bit. My kids were out of the house. I had more time on my hands and I thought, well, maybe it's time to try to write a book. And various things happened as I was trying to decide what to write about, which was sort of the big problem. What are you going to write about if yeah. you're going to write a novel? And um, uh, there were several different things. So uh, one of them was that my mom had passed away, I guess, in 2012, and it was 2016. And I decided I wanted to write an in memoriam for her to put in the Winnipeg Jewish newspaper, which I did. And uh, my father had passed away many years ago. And, you know, whenever something like that happens, you just, um, you know, you just think of your own mortality, the mortality of others, and kind of who's going to remember us when we're gone? You know, our children will, the next generation, but after that, we're just going to be a, uh, someone in a photograph, maybe now in a video, but who's really going to remember the kind of people that we were? Um, and so I thought, you know, I should really write a novel and make my parents sort of the main characters. And that way I'll immortalize them in some way. Um, so that was one idea. And um, I did in fact, well, my idea was to model Mira, who is the main protagonist, the young girl, 
after my mother uh and then my father is in various characters also but in the end you know mira really didn't turn out to be my mother or my mother didn't turn out to be mira vice versa there were parts of her in there but uh mira is kind of her own character but nevertheless i feel that some of their spirit is is in my characters <clears throat> so that was one thing then to sort of get revved up for writing uh, i decided i better do a lot of reading myself you know i hadn't read many novels lately i decided you know i really better start reading some things so i read it was actually a memoir deborah feldman's unorthodox the scandalous rejection of my hasidic roots <clears throat> which i thought was a great book and i thought you know there are a number of books being written about the Hasidic community, and it's understandable. People are interested in them. They're somewhat uh, sort of, you know, they're obviously very different kind of lifestyle. And even if you're Jewish, if you're not Orthodox, their lifestyle is somewhat interesting and exotic. And I thought, you know, I grew up in this very unique North End Winnipeg Jewish community. Someone should write about that. People should know about this sort of secular Yiddish speaking school that I went to and this world that I grew up in. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to incorporate Parrot School into my story. <clears throat> so that was sort of the idea for for that part of it. Um, and then another one sort of in contrast to these two motivations was kind of the state of the world at the time which I thought was pretty chaotic. Of course, I didn't know how much worse it was going to get in the next few years. But even at that time, I was pretty disillusioned. I think ISIS was at its peak. And I remember seeing images, you know, on TV or the internet of, sort of an ISIS fighter standing in the desert uh, with a knife in his hand and one of his captors kneeling beside him with a hood over his head. Uh, and it was just so biblical, these two people in the middle of the desert sand with the sky behind them. And I thought, my God, have we just somehow gone back in time, thousands of years? And this is the state of our civilization at this time. You know, ha haven't we learned anything? And it just took me back to when I was younger and thinking that the world was just gonna be a better place as I grew older. I just had no doubts that things were going to be getting a lot better and it it turned out that they hadn't and that sort of led to the idea of the sort of overarching theme of my book which is mira's sort of passage from innocence to experience just learning about these various things that that happen in the world and she said after world war ii right it's set in post-world war ii yes manitoba yes, yes. and you decide your mother was from winkler right my mother was from Winkler, Manitoba, yes. And that's not a big place. No, it isn't. <laughs> so you decide <clears throat> to rename it Ambrosia, is that right? That's right, I did. And I did. you set it there, and you introduce the agent of uh, metamorphosis or change for, for your protagonist in the person of a teacher who shows up from uh, Czechoslovakia. Tell me, tell me about Haver B. Javier B is a very intriguing and paradoxical and uh, somewhat mysterious character. Uh, he was a budding violin virtuoso in, uh, in Prague, and he comes over to this town out of all the places he could have, could have gone to. He picks this fictional town, Ambrosia, in the middle of sunflower country in Manitoba 
to become a teacher at their uh, at, at a parent school that exists in this town. But so he, it's about 1948 when he comes over. Yes. And he's got <clears throat> a mystery to him, a backstory to him, and a relationship that he builds with, with this young girl. Um, how, there's so much, you know, there's such a... Um, a piece from 1946 to 1965, let's say, of, I mean, I remember Hebrew school teachers that had a, a past to them that I could never possibly imagine uh, because they had been in World War II. Um, you don't bring that out immediately. You, you, you pull the thread slowly. Why, why, why maintain that, that mystery of him? Well, I wanted the book to have some mystery. I think there has to be some tension in the book. And in this case, the tension is <clears throat> who is Haver B? Really, um, what is his secret? Mira, um, so th there's this conflict between Mira sort of and Haver B in that she perceives immediately when he's introduced to her class that there is something different about him, not different really in an odd way, <clears throat> but that he seems like a sad character right from the start. And um, she says she perceives at the beginning that even a child could sense that this is a man who needed kindness. Um, and so she picks that up. Her father is the town doctor or one of the town doctors and Haver B is one of his patients. And, uh, you know, her mother is, uh, Mira's mother is a real balabusta. So both the fa her father and her mother kind of take Haverby under their wing. He comes over for, you know, Shabbos meals uh, on Friday night and um, they try to look after him. So she has more exposure to him than just, just at school. And then one of the times he comes over for dinner, he spies a violin case resting on the bookshelf in the living room. And he kind of tentatively asks, oh, you know, who, who plays the violin? And Mira says, oh, well, I did, but my teacher left about a year ago and I haven't had lessons since. And sort of after some hesitation on his part, he kind of quietly says, well, would you like me to be your teacher? Um, I used to play violin or whatever, and uh, she accepts. And so then she also gets to know him as her violin teacher. And there's a transference in this kind of an, a relationship, right? I mean, that he has nowhere to put this sadness when he arrives. And how does he, how do him and Mira, how do they change by being in a relationship of teacher and student? <clears throat> well, I think he... I think the fact that he actually even volunteered to be her teacher was a surprise, certainly to her parents and e even to him. Um, and for him, it was in an attempt, I think, to get back to this other world in which he'd been uh, <clears throat> very involved. Um, what he tells Mira is that he no longer plays the violin, that he had injured his arm and his left arm and uh, because of that he can no longer play and she asks him well how will you teach me if you can't play because uh, her previous violin teacher had been very demonstrative in that regard she would always be 
touching her arm to put it in the right position or putting her finger on a certain place on the fingerboard and certainly playing for her. She always, her previous teacher always had her violin with her. Even when Mira would see her downtown, she'd be walking, <laughs> holding her violin case. <clears throat> and this was obviously going to be a very different experience. And so what Haverby tells Mira is that, well, I will tell you, I will tell you how to play things in, in a very European fashion, and that's how you will play them. So he basically conveys to her some of the sentiments of the song she's playing through words, and um, that's how he teaches her, and they develop, they, they develop that relationship. You know, I remember the first time uh, I drove to Winnipeg from <laughs> Toronto because I'd gotten a job in Winnipeg, and I drove by myself in a horrible car that barely made it. But uh, when I got out of Northern Ontario and I crossed the border into Manitoba, I, I remember just, I, I couldn't believe it. it. It was perfectly flat. The sky was like an upside down ocean, just enormous and went on forever. And I just felt like I was in another place. What, what role does that Manitoba experience play in forming these characters in this story? Well, I'll just say it's interesting that you say that because when my husband and I, but for him, it was his first experience flying into, into Winnipeg, he had that, ex same, that exact same reaction. Mm. Like everything was so flat and then poof, <laughs> <laughs> sort of out of the ground popped up this city. <laughs> so I guess that wasn't a unique experience. Um, so yes, yeah, so the, the landscape, the place has a big influence on, uh, on Mira. <clears throat> she looks out her window and she sees this vast expanse of fields and in her case, a lot of sunflower fields. And that really plays into her imagination of of sort of what life can hold all the potential sort of inherent in life um i think as i also you know say early on in the book sort of that openness of terrain led to um sort of an openness of character and uh, an openness of heart of the people of, of manitoba you couldn't live in a place like that just living in a place that was so open made you feel somewhat exposed and mm -hmm. you just had to be open and receptive. Yeah. Sort of blend in with your environment. Well, there must be some expansiveness to everything too, because when, you know, I remember being in the, in the Rockies for the first time and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to see for miles. I couldn't see anything. There were mountains everywhere. <laughs> they were in my way. But out in the prairie, you could see a storm coming for an hour before it got to you. You know, it was, there's something about that, isn't there? About that kind of existence? Yes, and the sunsets were absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. landscape, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I just say the landscape um, is an important element in the book. It's um, what she perceives about nature <clears throat> and um, sort of how she views various aspects of, of what's going on sometimes get interpreted through nature, which sometimes maybe becomes almost a, like a character in itself, but it is an important element of, of the book. So you haven't lived there for a long time. You write this book. What, what did it bring up for you to remember your life on the prairies as, as, a, as a, a Jewish girl growing up in Manitoba? 
it was actually wonderful. I enjoyed every minute I spent <clears throat> writing this book, whether it was rereading my manuscript umpteen times, <laughs> but just uh, getting back into the head of an 11 and 12 year old girl. I mean, she's older as, as the book progresses. It goes till she's age 15, but um, it starts when she's uh, 11, sort of going on 12. And it was wonderful. I thought those were great years. Those were just such wonderful years. You were sort of at the upper echelons of childhood, but you were still a child. Uh, you were gaining a little more insight, maybe a little more wisdom, um, but you were still a kid. And uh, I just thought those were those were great years. And it was a lot of fun to sort of get back into the head of, of someone that age. It must have been wild. Did, did your mother, you, you know, you wanted initially to write something as um, in memoriam to your mother. Do you feel your mother in this story? Do you feel that connection to your parents and and to that life in this story? I do. Very much so. Um, you know, with my parents, uh, I describe Mira's mother as being <clears throat> a balabusta, which was my <laughs> what my mother definitely was, just a very capable woman, a wonderful homemaker. Um, Mira's father is a doctor. My father uh, wasn't a professional. Unfortunately, he didn't have the opportunity to go to university as many people in his generation <clears throat> didn't have that chance. Um, but he was very bright. And I think there's a lot of him in Mira's father uh, with her father's patience and um, wisdom and the advice that, that he gives her. So I see a lot of them. And um, even in my recounting of parrot school, I mean, I confess <laughs> I did, uh, model some of the teachers I describe in my novel <laughs> after uh, some of the teachers I had. I mean, it would be no secret to anyone who attended Paris school who I was talking about. Uh, but, uh, but that was a lot of fun, too. And it was just fun because sometimes I would reread certain passages and just chuckle to myself, no matter how many times I'd read them before. When I would read about certain teachers, I would always start to laugh a little bit. So Prairie Sonata <laughs> is out there. And you're getting really wonderful things said about the book, which I don't know about your experience, but I, I when I wrote a book, at times in the, writing it alone in your room, you're thinking, I don't know. I mean, people might just look at this and what is this? And then it goes out there and some people, some people say nice things. It must be not as someone who didn't spend their life saying, I'm an author, trust me, I'm an author. It must feel quite wonderful to have people speak so kindly of the book. Um, it was great and it is great. It's very nice. <clears throat> you know, um, I wasn't sure what kind of reception it was going to get, even though I liked it. I really didn't know if other people would like it. So um, I was thrilled when I <clears throat> received my Kirkus review. I sent it off for a Kirkus review. And I really waffled on that back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I, <clears throat> I sent it in. And then it took me so long to decide to send it in that the next day I went back and I said, well, can you do it the expedited version? <laughs> so I can get it back in four weeks instead of eight weeks, you know? And um, yeah, then I was just thrilled uh, when I got that review. And uh, Bernie Bellin wrote me a very, very nice review in the Jewish Post. And um, that was very encouraging. And yeah, it, it was great. It was nice to know that there were a few people out there who 
it resonated with, who the yeah. story resonated with, because that's what you want people to connect with your story. The obvious uh, question is, so you're going to write another book? Uh, I'd like to. I don't think it will be quite the same kind of book, maybe more medically oriented. I'm not sure, but um, I'd like to write another book. We'll see. Yeah, yeah you've well, got a whole life in, in medicine that you 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 could mine for a, a fiction story too, right? That is true. That is true. It's yeah. hard though, because you have to, you know, as you went through that process, I'm sure you were just like, I maybe you should write about, no, I shouldn't write about it. Maybe, it, no, I shouldn't. And then finally you get the thing you are going to write, but it's almost mercurial. You don't really know what it's going to, the muses will come together in the next book might happen, right? Right. That's probably how you feel too with your books. Yeah, because I'm thinking, I don't know, uh, can you do this twice? And, you know, you, you know, if, if you haven't been doing it your whole life, it's not the same thing, but so wonderful to see that this book has done so well in terms of what it says. And it's a powerful book. So it's a wonderful thing that you've done it. Uh, I want to thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, the book is called Prairie Sonata. In case you've been sitting there thinking, what's the book called? It's called Prairie Sonata, and you can find it on all the digital platforms, and it's available in, in uh, hard copy and in uh, Kindle edition as well. So uh, anybody who wants to do that should do that. Sandy Sheffern Rubin is the uh, author of that book and uh, <clears throat> grew up in Winnipeg and wisely lives in California at this moment, in time. <laughs> but uh, not in the summers when it's Sun's going down at 10 o'clock and the mosquitoes are the size of helicopters. You know you're in Manitoba. It's a good thing. You take care of yourself, okay? Thank you. You too. Uh, that is uh, Hopitsville for this episode, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift donors. Learn more at peartreecanada.com. I'm your host, Ralph Benmergi. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Samayo. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting small Jewish communities, either real or fictional, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more of my work, I host another podcast called Not That Kind of Rabbi. I have a book out myself. It's called I Thought He Was Dead, a spiritual memoir. And if you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, cjn.ca. We'll see you next time on Yehopitzville. Bye. <laughs>